That's a little bit of Thin Lizzy for you. Uh, we're so glad to be back, guys. We hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We're leading into the holiday season here for many of our listeners. You're listening to Entrepreneurs Podcast. Entrepreneurs, spelled entree like Spanish for between, pre like our prepubescent sense of humor, and nerds like, like the us. guys around the microphones. Speaking of guys around the microphone, I'm Kareem the Realtor. And I'm Daniel, the retailer. Today, we talk about franchising. What do you know about franchising, Kareem? I know most things. Oh, okay. I think it kind of sounds like the uh, title of a terrible business class in business school that you don't want to go to, Franchising 101 with Dr. <laughs> Burkhart. <laughs> no? I mean, I went to business school, and I can tell you, that um, the franchising part of the business model wasn't something that our business professors really liked. I think there's that idea that you need to have sort of start something from scratch. In fact, I was thinking, where did franchising come from? Do you know where it came from? It came from um, Europe? Yeah, Europe. Kareem, where does all great things come from? Europe. No, America! <laughs> well, North America, because technically my research shows it came from Canada. <laughs> There's actually a really cool uh, YouTube video uh, on, on the TED Ed channel that talks about where franchising came from. Lots of people can, you can say it went back to people who would lease land from landowners and sort of have their own business because it was sort of the identity and real estate of something, but you owned part of it anyway. Really, when you think about the modern idea of franchising, it goes back to not McDonald's and not the Singer sewing machine, but actually it went back to beauty products. And this woman named Martha Matilda Harper, good old MMH, as her friends called her, and she was a maid and she worked in a lot of houses. One of the houses she worked in was the house of a doctor, uh, a chemist almost, who gave her this sort of scientific recipe for better cleaning materials and shampoo. So she ran with this idea of shampoo, and she goes, I'm going to save all my pennies, literally pennies, because this was back in the 1800s, <laughs> and I'm going to figure out a way, well, I guess they're loonies, aren't they? In Canada, they were called loonies. I'm going to save all the loonies in the bank. So she puts together her money, saves 360 whopping dollars, 360 Canadian dollars, so they weren't worth as much. And she decides she's going to basically start her own beauty business. And she comes up with this idea of a public hair salon, which, you know, a hush falls over the crowd. Everybody gasps, a public hair salon. Nobody wants to get their hair done in public. Uh, but she knew that this was a great idea. And she had to overcome the idea that only 17% of women even worked during the time, let alone own their own business. And then she had to overcome the idea that um, you could have a public salon. She actually had to fight her case in court with a lawyer that she paid for with some of the 360 uh, Canadian dollars. <laughs> and she was actually living in New York at the time. So technically she was now in the U.S. But she's in New York. She wants to start this. Uh, she calls it um, Harper's uh, Salons. And they start and the the word spreads that she has this amazing product, the shampoo. She has these styling salons, and she actually invented the first reclining shampoo chair. Unfortunately for her, did not patent it, but there's only so much 
uh, $360 to go around and didn't patent her idea, but she decided to start uh, allowing other people to open her space, open Harper's salons, other places in the world. And what's really interesting about it is she said, I want you to own it. I'll help you start it and brand it and come up with the same business plan I do, but I want women to own these businesses themselves. And there were dozens, if not hundreds, of these salons all over the world. Now there's only one back in the original place in New York. But that is where the idea of franchising really started and really took out the modern idea of franchising. And of course, Ray Kroc took the idea and licensed from the McDonald's brothers, and we saw how that turned out. And Singer Sewing Machines and uh, uh, Seamstressing, that that took off that way. And now it's a, a, a business model that's really well accepted. You know, back in the early 1900s, people thought franchisees were like snake oil salesmen. Like, give me 50 grand and I'll show you how to run something and run away with your money. Uh, there's a whole another YouTube video uh, online about that, about how people stole it and they created the, uh, they un ended up creating the franchise industry like relations group, sort of a group of franchisees. But anyway, so what's a franchise when you think, uh, Kareem, of something that's like, oh yeah, that's a, something I've heard of as a franchise that you can get into or something that's... Uh, a good one to look up? Well, I don't know if I like it, but the largest U.S. franchise chain is Subway. Really? Yeah. Startups cost about from 84000 to $258,000. Um, now, do they have a requirement for assets or net worth? So a lot of them do. For example, if you want to start a McDonald's franchise, you have to have millions of dollars of net worth, mm -hmm. liquid assets, and $750,000 franchise fee. Mm -hmm. When you look at something like uh, a Subway, I remember years, maybe this was 10 years ago, looking at Quiznos, they were like the darling. Toasted. toasted. They were the darling of the franchise industry. But it doesn't have to be a restaurant, right? Obviously, Harper showed us that it could be a salon. Um, an example of a restaurant that is very popular in the franchise industry because people talk about it a lot is Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. Chick-fil-A only requires you to pay them $10,000 as a operating license, but there isn't any kind of, uh, you don't have to have any kind of personal assets. There's no requirement for your net worth at all. But out of 250 people that apply, only one person's going to be granted any kind of franchise. And that would be 0.4%. They're very selective mm -hmm. of who they end up running with their brand. You also can't own more than one and you're not even an owner technically you're an operator but you also can't be single no. you can't be non-christian correct and yeah you're technically not an owner so and you have to go down with your uh significant other typically it's a man going down with his wife and they get golf carted around the campus of chick-fil-a and uh they meet with a bunch of people in interview to see if they meet the culture and values of that company they're treated to a modest lunch of chicken and pickles uh, yeah, m probably on a toasted bun, if perhaps that was on the table. Um, but anyway, so you've got all these examples of franchises, but I think some people don't see the opportunity, especially younger people, don't see the opportunity in uh, the ability to take somebody's idea, sort of make it your own and make money off of the business without having to sort of create something from scratch. One example of a hot franchise right now that has over 2,000 clubs open in 18 different countries is Snap Fitness. Now, is this a gym that you uh, use if you're on Snapchat? 
<laughs> um, in fact, I've seen a lot of people snapping their their sort of fitness regimen because it's open twenty four hours. You could Snapchat your way to the t- to the curl bar at one o'clock in the morning if you wanted to. <laughs> um, but Snap Fitness is more like uh, imagine a hotel gym, you know, where it's got a few treadmills, some weight machines, and maybe a place to do some abs. That's basically it. I mean, it's only typically five hundred to a thousand square feet. Uh, you know, maybe 2,000 square feet. But what's remarkable is there are uh, opportunities all over to open these up in these little tiny strip malls or places where you wouldn't normally open a gym. You don't need a 100,000 square foot lifetime fitness at a huge mall with a huge parking lot. You can change the way you do it. And so Snap started in 2003. It was founded by this guy named Peter Taunton. This guy's an interesting dude. He and his twin brother, identical twin brother, Paul, Peter and Paul, um, were a professional racquetball competitors and were actually ranked second nationally for racquetball. So they know a little bit about fitness. So do they have racquetball facilities at Snap? No. <laughs> <laughs> they decided that there's that takes up too much space and not enough people can use it at once, I'm sure. But there are clubs... Um, you know, in small areas of town, small pockets of town. Here in Columbus, we have five, and they're all owned by the same entrepreneur. This is 27-year-old Tony Capuano, and he owns five of the... He started with one and then bought out some of the other owners. But what's really unique about his approach to franchise, uh, franchisee, franchisor relationship is that he believes he can help redefine what SNAP sees as its business model because until now it's really been a, a parking lot basically a you uh you don't have to have anyone staff it and it's a lot of passive income people are paying monthly and they're coming in and using it but you basically have to clean the equipment and that's all you don't have to be there providing any kind of classes or anything like that but what Tony's done in his new space in Bexley is really amazing it's right across from the Bexley library beautiful space with a juice bar. He partnered with local uh, company Native Press Juice. It's a 5,000 square foot space and he has studio space. They're going to be offering classes, but it's still going to be the only 24-hour gym in Columbus and at a really crazy great price. And he went to Minneapolis and said to Peter and the other executives of Snap, if this isn't the direction you want to go, let me know because this is what I'd like to do and I think would be great for the business. So they said, Columbus is a great test market. We should test it out. So, Kareem, you think we should talk to him? I think we should. I am really interested in what uh, Tony's adding to it. I think I think there's a lot to be said there about that's still he's still not accepting the status quo. He's taking what's there and improving on it because a lot of gyms right now in that industry, they sell their product or they sell their membership. It's based on, oh, I have so many machines open and we have classes and we have indoor heated swimming pools and all this great stuff. Now you have this kind of really bare bone. It doesn't sound like there is any supervision there. Right. Typically they have uh, anywhere from 11 to like 11 a.m. to 4 or 11 a.m. to 6, depending on the day of the week, there'll be somebody staffing it. Mm -hmm. The Bexley location is a little different and we'll probably talk to Tony about what their model is because there's actually a front desk where there isn't in a normal snap. I think it's important to have some sort of supervision for, of course, you know, for security, if it's 24 hours, you want someone to be there, but also to motivate new people to join. January is the best month of the year uh, in terms of new gym memberships. They, yeah. they soar 
through the roof. And as a salesman, it's so easy to sell the idea of a fit life to someone saying, hey, you don't know anything, but when you go in, we're going to have people who are going to make sure you're doing the exercises correctly. We're going to make sure that you're safe and we're going to help you get healthy. Right. So, and and th- I don't know whether there'll be opportunities for that, but I can tell you that it's a great time to open a new gym, especially if you already have four gyms that are basically running themselves to sort of reinvent this one to test it in a great market. The other interesting thing is that they've partnered with that juice bar that's also there. And while I was working out there the other day, I happened to notice 10 people come in just for the juice just to be exposed to, to the new space and everything else that's going on. So really interesting stuff. Can't wait to talk to Tony about it. And it sounds like the the great thing about Snap Fitness's model is it makes it very easy for you to open one. It's right. just really easy to open one. And then you feel free to add to it. Feel free to customize it for your market, for your customer. I'm seeing here they have 48 um, in the United States, plus you have Canada, Mexico, India. 48 what? Uh, 48 locations. Um, or franchises, actually. But they have, blah, blah, I thought blah. they have 2,000 all around the world, oh, like 18 Jesus. different countries. The, the chain operates in 48 of the United States. Got it. 48 <laughs> states, guys. Got it. Uh, uh, actually, this is all going to get cut. But Why? What are we stopping? Or let's keep it. But they have 1,500 <laughs> locations that are open 24-7. Okay, so here's what's interesting about Snap as a franchise is that it's a lower barrier of entry than some other franchises out there. You have to have a 75000 combined income between you and your other business partner already, like a, a regular income. And then you also have to have 75000 in liquid assets and a net worth of at least $250,000. Well, if your house is worth $250,000, that's you're, you're kind of getting close there. Yeah. And if you don't have a house, guess who can help you buy a house? Right. I can. I can. <laughs> Straight from Kareem, the re- <laughs> realtor. All right, guys. Well, listen, I hope you enjoy the interview with Tony and uh, his wife, Hannah, may be joining us as well, but it's going to be a really interesting one. So here it is. This is Daniel from Entrepreneurs Podcast, and I'm here with Tony Capuano, a Columbus native who joined Snap Fitness as an employee shortly after graduating college. And then he quickly took an ownership stake in that franchise and is now the sole franchisee of the five Snap Fitness franchises in the Columbus area. Wow, that was a lot of the word franchise in a row. How are you doing, Tony? I'm doing well. How are you? Thanks for having me. Was that uh, an adequate introduction? Probably the finest I've ever received. So, <laughs> I somehow doubt that, but I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, so why don't first you kind of tell us a little bit of your backstory and uh, what maybe compelled you to become an entrepreneur? Okay, sure. Um, I'll forewarn you, my stories are long, so... Uh, feel free to cut me off or interject as you see fit. But um, yeah, so I kind of grew up, uh, I guess, in a family business. And um, to be honest with you, I actually always wanted to be in the family business. Um, and uh, so I kind of got um, an early firsthand look at um, being a business owner and the highs and the lows and the struggles. And um, I kind of just fell in love with it, um, I guess, watching... Um, you know, uh, family business go from small size to medium to larger size and, um, love the opportunities that kind of came with, uh, and the risks, I guess, that came with owning a business and being able to make a decision one day and, and see it come to life the next, um, good or bad. So, um, it just kind of always, um, um, kind of lit a, lit a fire under me. And so 
Yeah, I can get that. I mean, my uh, father was an entrepreneur, had a photography business, and ever since then was super interested in the idea of owning your own business, mm. being your own boss, and you know, quickly realized that that means working all the time, right, <laughs> never right. turning it off. Yeah. Uh, when you think about that, I know you work really closely with your wife. How is that dynamic? Uh, good. We, uh, we have been doing this on an ownership level now for four years, but to be honest, haven't really gotten our feet underneath us as much as I can say that until about this past year. And actually hasn't been until this past year um, that we've actually started to work together as well. So she worked um, at OSU for a while, did photography for a while. Um, she's got a background in graphic design and marketing. So um, it's, it's a great fit to have her working, um, I guess, by my side. So um, to be honest, I, I don't know that everybody has this uh, result, but it's, it's definitely brought us closer. Um, right. And it's, it's a lot more just kind of hand-in-hand decisions, which is really fun. I think what's remarkable is you had mentioned that she had helped sort of design this whole new space. Yeah. As soon as I walked in, the first thing I noticed was this doesn't feel like a gym. Right. It feels much more uh, like a studio kind of feel. Yeah. Yeah. She's uh, she's got an amazing eye. And, and I think she, she did just a great job kind of bringing to life what we wanted in, in our space. Um, Corporate did a nice job kind of catering to um, some updates that we, we wanted to make, or our franchisor, I guess. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the, the vision was to create a space that, that's comfortable for everybody and, and a, a space that you actually want to be in and not you know get in and get out because the lights are too bright. or uh, is, So I guess the vibe and, and the feeling of the gym was, was super important to us. Right, and uh, getting that energy right. I think one of the cool things this Snap has versus any other Snap that I've ever heard of is you've got a partnership with a local, another local business, mm-hmm. uh, Native Cold Press. Yeah, yeah, they have been absolutely great. Um, I think we err on the side of collaboration. So we went from thirty-five hundred to fifth, or I'm sorry, thirty-five hundred to five thousand square feet, and um, we had some extra space that we could put more equipment in. But again, kind of going off of the the energy and the the i guess vibe of the space that that we wanted to create um native has been been a really great um partner in bringing um that community feel and um it's easier now to uh um get a workout in and and kind of just hang out in the gym for a little while um but uh yeah great great um great owners nicole and aaron and we're, we're thrilled to to be able to do this space with them that's great. I think anytime you can partner uh, locally with other uh, local business and create that um, that connection, it keeps the money in the community and mm-hmm. uh, makes everybody more successful. And obviously, you as a business owner and she as a business owner are going to be able to collaborate and connect a little bit more on those challenges and struggles. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So speaking of ownership, franchises is a little different than we've really talked about on our show. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are sort of thinking, what all goes into uh, a franchise and uh, when they look at it a lot of times there's these thresholds for how much money you have to have in the bank or how much uh, uh, liquidity you have or your net worth. I know when I looked at Snaps it seemed a little less than say opening a McDonald's (laughs) but it was more than becoming an operator of a Chick-fil-A. So uh, when you were uh, assessing that opportunity was that something you thought about and how did you sort of navigate through that? Yeah um, I think the first thing is is 
you know, when you compare like a like a Chick-fil-A or a McDonald's or a Snap Fitness, I mean, there's going to be a wide array of costs associated. So figuring out, I guess, your passion for what industry you want to be in, first of all. Um, and second of all, I think the biggest thing is, is picking your battles and deciding what battle you want to fight. So, um, you know, some benefits that come with a franchise are things like uh, insurance and software and things that really, you know, you don't want to spend a ton of your um, time and, and talent figuring out on your own, potentially. Um, they kind of have answers for that. So kind of allows you to spend more time on, okay, how, how do I develop this model and, and who are some great community partners to, to be associated with? Um, so it kind of helps you build your, um, I guess, spend more time on, on the model and the brand you want to create. Um, so yeah, I think, it's, I think it's about picking battles and figuring out what battles you want to fight. I think that's a great answer. I mean, thinking about uh, all those things that go into the infrastructure of running a business and having something sort of ready-made that says, this is the plan, and sort of run with your idea. And, you know, speaking of running with your idea, this snap doesn't look like any other snap in the country. So how did that conversation go with the owners of the franchise? Yeah, so... Um, the franchisor. Franchisor, yeah. Or mothership. Or, <laughs> the mothership in um, Minneapolis. Yeah, so, uh, you know, corporate mothership franchisor, however you want to refer to them, they've been, they've been great through this process. Um, we have five locations total, and... And like I said, we've been doing this for four years, but uh, it wasn't until this past year that Hannah, my wife, and I actually spent time and went out to Minnesota and met with the executives and met with the team and and just kind of got a pulse for what their direction is and where they're going, Um, because it's much different now than it was, you know, even four years ago or three years ago. Um, And fitness is evolving, the industry is evolving, but um, I I think the the word that comes to mind is, is... it feels a lot more like a partnership than, you know, like a franchise or franchisee mm-hmm. stereotypical relationship. Um, and I think the the design of this space compared to some snaps, snap fitnesses that, that other people have seen or maybe are used to is a great um, uh, reflection of that. So um, we were kind of in a jam. We had to basically find a space and build out a space and four months, which meant it took us a month to find a new space and three months to build out. So um, we were kind of stressed for time and um, the space turned out great. But but like I said, they were very understanding and, and not so much just, uh, well, hey, these are the rules and you got to follow the rules and sorry, it's not working out for you. Um, but more of, you know, let's figure out a way to compromise. So it's more of a relationship and a partnership than, um, you know, kind of a big brother, little brother type type deal. That's uh, really good information. I think uh, anytime you have somebody else involved, whether it's an ownership stake or like this franchise relationship, uh, you've got to make sure that you check all your boxes in terms of making sure everyone's getting what they want out of the relationship. Uh, do you think if they didn't want to go in the direction you wanted to, that you would have had to change your relationship with them? Um, boy, that's tough to tough to say. Um, I, I, I think. I, I guess we weren't really sure when, you know, we went out to Minnesota and, and kind of, like I said, we're, we're figuring out where they were going the next couple of years. Um, it was a shift in a very positive direction, a very community oriented results driven, com- uh, I guess, gym. 
Um, and so that's what we believed in, and that's what we wanted or, and have been trying to create from the start. So um, it's, it is kind of tough to say. Uh, hindsight 2020, the, the decision would have been probably different um, if we weren't able to establish this type, this type of relationship. Yeah, I think that first opportunity for them to say no or yes or let's work together is a really big step in establishing what kind of relationship it would be. Yeah, and and, and that's the thing too is is the relationship aspect. You know, as a franchisee, we have to keep in mind too that Snap Fitness has an overall brand of, you know, close to eighteen hundred locations around the world. So, you know, they are responsible for making sure their brand. Um, has a certain standard and a certain feel and vibe and community. So they're trying to do essentially, you know, the same thing we're doing in terms of building community and designing great spaces. Um, and so that's where, you know, there, there's got to be compromise. Um, maybe compromise isn't the best word, but there's got to be understanding on, on both sides. Um, and when you have that and you have a franchisor um, that can actually listen to your needs and, and kind of understand um, where you're coming from and your challenges, et cetera, um, the, it, it, it makes it a lot easier. I think it's, uh, it, that goes along with what you said earlier just about um, there are some things that are beneficial to have a franchisor who can sort of assist you through that and even who's mm -hmm. been in business a long time and can say, you know, I don't know if it's a good thing to go in that direction, and these are the things we've seen, and we tried right, that. Right, Because with so many franchises across the world, they probably have had people say, oh, but I want to do this. Wouldn't that be cool? Definitely, definitely. Um, so for people that aren't familiar with Snap, explain the business model really quickly. Yeah. So uh, basically, it's 24-hour um, gym, which means members get an access card, lets them in 24 hours a day. The access card also gets you into any Snap Fitness gym across the country and or world. Um, there's, a, there's a few um, overseas uh, locations like in Australia, um, I think perhaps Germany. But um, yeah, so it's, it's a kind of month-to-month -month deal, 24-7, um, pay as you go. And the idea is simplicity, but um, as you know, this brand is evolving, I think the idea... Uh, and, and what's driving Snap Fitness is even more so now community and, and results. That's great. And I know you specifically in uh, sort of celebration of the grand opening of the New Bexley location, you have some special deals going on? Yes. <laughs> this is my plug, isn't it? Like, come try it out. <laughs> yeah, we are doing a 30-day uh, trial, um, free trial. We're also doing uh, free classes um, through the month of December. Um, classes is something that's going to be new, at least to our model here in the Columbus area. But um, we're really confident in the direction we're heading. Um, and, uh, you know, we're kind of finding people have multiple gym memberships. Yes. Uh, and so, you know, creating a space that's adaptable uh, it has been important to us. Um, and I think we're able to do that here. But yeah, so through December, free classes, we're doing a 30 day trial and um, we're, we're excited. That's great. And uh, I would say anybody who comes by, make sure to come all the way through so they can see the studio space in the back. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, so a couple very podcasty um, questions, <laughs> which are, do you have examples of inspiring entrepreneurs that uh, you look to or you think about or you read books about because they inspire you? Yeah. Um, is it too cliche if I say like Elon Musk? And <laughs> No, absolutely not. I mean, somebody's going to say uh, Schwarzkopf and somebody's going to say Elon Musk. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Yeah, the other one is uh, actually my grandpa, who um, actually founded Donatos in 1963. Um, and, and honestly, my, my family in general. Um, I have an uncle in Colorado that has his own business. Um, I have another uncle that's involved in um, biofuel. Um, my grandma does um, a number of different things from real estate to um, kind of a, a shop called Gentle Wind she used to run in the past. And it was kind of like total wholeness, uh, wellness. Um, so I, I think kind of my family in general, um, but I think the, the number one thing that, that um, I guess I aspire to or, or um, follow or try to follow is, is disruption and always challenging yourself and challenging your model and your brand and figuring out um, ways to make things better. Um, and then I think, you know, doing it with goodwill and doing it with principle and doing mm -hmm. it um, in a way that lifts up your community and your neighborhood and um, your customers. And um, so I, I'm passionate about small business because I've seen the impact it can have on communities and people. Um, so anyone that kind of fits that, that criteria. <laughs> I love that. And entrepreneurs uh, in our uh, short time on this earth, we have actually did a sort of a book report on um, your mother's book, yeah. which is Every Piece is Important. Yeah. And, I saw that. Yeah. And um, I, I think that growing up in Columbus, obviously Donato's is a big part of your childhood and for anybody who grows up in Columbus. Yeah. And that uh, book was terrific. And I think that the interesting thing uh, about it was she talks specifically about having an impact in your community. And I know the Reeve Avenue um, Center and the Boys and Girls Club there is a big uh, part of something that she's been really actively involved in. Mm -hmm. uh, you have had uh, experience starting nonprofit or starting um, businesses that have that connection to the community in the past as well. So uh, I think the more people we have doing that, you, you even if it's just because they really love HR, like uh, Joe DeLoss likes to say, yeah, <laughs> thought she yeah. could take over, um, I think there's a really important path to go there. And a lot of millennials right now, I recommend you don't start non-profits, start profitable businesses that yes. are social enterprises because they will build and scale much faster than writing a bunch of grants. Yeah, and I'll say something. I can say this because we have probably a lot of entrepreneurs listening to this anyways, I would hope, right? Um, we I, hope. I've, I've always kind of thought, and this is, sounds like a selfish statement, but uh, I've always thought running your own business or, or attempting to uh, run your own business or a small business or whatever it is, is one of the most selfless things you can do. <laughs> um, and it, it's just the idea of, of, you know, you're putting yourself at risk. You're putting your own capital at risk. Um, every asset you own essentially is at risk. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you're providing, hopefully, you know, jobs for people. And, and I think it's beyond jobs, though, too. It's, it's a livelihood for their family and potentially generations to come. Um, and I think, you, I mean... I think you said it well with don't start nonprofits, start for profit companies. And what's great about, you know, I think our, our, I think our mindset is evolving a bit in terms of how we think about for profit businesses in general. When my grandpa started, you know, Donato's in 1963, he was told not to go into business because it's a dog eat dog world, you'll lose your morals. And I mean, look how far we've come. Um, since then, where it's it's almost expected um, if you you start a business now that there's some type of social impact, um, and, it, and you know it doesn't have to be um, 
you know, giving to a charity or, or anything else, but I think it's just people's passion for other people is kind of overflowing in a way that that their business is kind of um, um, shaped by by their own passion. So, yeah, I love that. We've talked on the show about conscious capitalism. Yeah, and uh, Kip Tyndall, who was the the CEO of the Container Store, is now the um, chairman emeritus, I believe. Um, he one of the things he said was one of the greatest privileges in life is getting a chance to provide a reason for your employees to get excited to get up Mm. in the morning. And uh, I think that's an important thing to think about. It's sometimes hard for us to wake up and start our day, but it's our responsibility to make sure those who report to us and those on our team feel really excited to come to work for us and with us. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Okay, so um, I think we have one more really exciting entrepreneurial podcast kind of question, <laughs> which is if you were offered a magic dollar amount to sell all your franchises and do something else that's you're really passionate about and you think would be the next big disruptor, yeah, what would that be? I've I've probably think about that question every day, and every day I think my answer is different. <laughs> um, I think since, you know, my passion kind of lies in um, small business and local business and community, um, I think it'd have to be somewhere um, in the field of helping other small businesses and other entrepreneurs. So um, I've often thought about, um, and this is kind of a strange question, but can you franchise entrepreneurship? And that's kind of an interesting, um, the kind of the story you were telling me earlier was, was uh, about the, I guess, roots of franchising, where mm-hmm. it started is interesting. But um, I, I've always kind of thought about, can you franchise entrepreneurship? Because um, entrepreneurship and small business can do just wonders for, a, for a, a community. And you see shows like The Profit and Cleveland Hustles, and um, it, it's amazing the impact that, that it can have. And really, it's people having that impact and people given a chance to put their passions to work. Um, and people are are uh, capable of just incredible things when they're when they're fueled by passion. So um, I think it's it'd be somewhere along the lines of of connecting people with their passion. Um, and um, yeah, that, that doesn't really sum it up. No, at all. I love that. I love that. <laughs> and I, you know, there are some businesses or companies out there. You know, the nonprofit or not for profit ECDI. Um, uh, in town allows a lot of entrepreneurs access to space and access to um, uh, training and the mm-hmm. food fort and everything mm-hmm. that's there. But um, when it comes down to it, they rely on money from from grants and banks and institutions yeah. as well as people paying back the loans, those kind of things. So how could a for-profit idea become a sort of um, jump start for entrepreneurs. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, kind of, and you reminded me of a few things. Um, I would love to do consulting someday of like small businesses and entrepreneurs. Um, I love my wife and I for fun, uh, kind of drive by empty spaces and think about awesome businesses that could go in there. Um, so we're kind of constantly thinking of different concepts and models, um, from like just every industry. Um, but you know, something too, that that's been on my mind has been, um, you know, we've kind of seen the, the cycle a little bit of nonprofits and 
it's kind of, you know, where are nonprofits going to be in the next 20 years? I don't know. Um, but not necessarily, you know, how, how do we, how do we create a culture and environment where for-profits can, can further assist nonprofits? Cause nonprofits do a great thing. Um, and, and, you know, need to continue to run. Um, so I think the, in the future, like I, I would love to see something, um, almost maybe in a consulting manner, but, um, almost establishing for profit subsidiaries, uh, of, for-profit subsidiaries for nonprofits, um, and kind of helping them tap into the uh, more commerce or retail side of, of things. I think there's such a line of distinction between, oh, your nonprofit or your for-profit. I think that line is is blurring away, obviously, with social enterprise, which is kind of like awkwardly in the middle of both. Right. I mean, one of my favorite uh, for-profit uh, social enterprises is, right now in town was started by a 19-year-old at OSU, um, Claire Annette, and that is the Ant Flow. Have you heard of this? Yeah, I have. And yeah. so I love uh, Claire. She's such an incredible um, energy and life force, and she just basically said, what? What do you mean you can't buy tampons with like food stamps and public yeah. assistance? Or yeah. What do you mean you can't get them at shelters? That's crazy. Right. I'm going to change that. Right. And I think that... Uh, she also, you know, went about it the right way and said it's it's that sort of in her it's sort of a Tom's model that buy one get one. Mm-hmm. Um, but her immediate reaction was, how do I make a sustainable business that can also benefit the things I want it to benefit? Right. So she started with, here's the problem in the community I want to solve. How do I create a business to solve it? Right. As opposed to, how do I ask a bunch of people for money to give tampons out? Right. And right. I, I think that that's the next step in thinking it's much smarter thinking of entrepreneurs in town or people that you're close to. One of the biggest things we talk to entrepreneurs about is mentors. And they often say that that my success is because I had this great mentor. So do you have a mentor and how often do you talk to them and what is that relationship like? Yeah, no, that's an interesting question. I probably should have prepared more for it, but I'll be transparent. Um, now, I didn't write it down on our list. So. <laughs> my, uh, I, I think just naturally I kind of go to my family, my mom and my grandpa, and um, you know even my my mom's husband Tom Krause has been kind of an amazing guide, um, and it's kind of been a blessing to have a lot of minds on, you know, opportunities or challenges. Um, it can also be a challenge though having uh, a number of people in your family be successful entrepreneurs. And then see you working and be like, yeah, but if you did this. Yeah. Yeah. Dinners are fun. Um, <laughs> no, but, uh, and that's exactly where, where I guess I was, I was going was my family has been, been awesome and, and amazing. And, um, but the dynamics different, um, in terms of having, um, you know, a, a mentor that's related versus not related. And, um, I've learned so much from my family and I'm actually, you know, again, funny you bring this up, but just this past couple months, we've kind of been. I say we, my wife and I, we've kind of been on a search for a mentor and, and you know, finding that person that, that we can be accountable to. Um, so uh, it's a process, but we, we've there's so many amazing people in Columbus. It's also not easy to narrow it down and kind of, <laughs> so I think, I think. Do you have some names in mind? Yeah, I was going to say, I think, you know, um, well, I'm, I'm, some, I'm, I'm friends with uh, Joe Delos, who's been great. Um, Tanisha Robinson, actually. Oh, yeah, from I love Prince. Tanisha. Tanisha's amazing. Um, so 
Tanisha's been great. Um, Doug Curry from Donato's actually, uh, and Tom Krause also from Donato's, my mom's husband. Um, but yeah, yeah, honestly, I, I try and um, get out to meet with as many of those type of people as I can and mm-hmm. kind of buy them lunch, dinner, drinks, coffee, whatever it is, and, and just try and say, hey, here's my problems, here's all my issues, and, and help, help me solve them in 30 minutes, ready, go. And don't charge me anything. And don't charge me I anything. I love mentors instead of consultants. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's great. Uh, it's, it's definitely important to surround yourself with a lot of really good people and make time for it. I know when you're opening a gym, and I have been here five times and seen you here every time, so it's hard <laughs> to make time for mentors. Yeah. Um, but I think the last question I have is something uh, that a lot of people uh, uh, reference when they talk about being in business or being successful is that there's often failures along the way and there's often um, pain points that you're stressed. So is, is there a failure that you can point to along the way that you feel shaped you in some way? Because I know you've sort of been in business for four years, but is, and then if not, what's the pain point right now you're trying to solve? Hmm. Yeah. Um, well, so <laughs> a lot, I've learned a lot and they've all been through failures of some sort. So, um, the, the hope and idea is that we just keep getting better after each failure. Um, you know, I think I'll say, I'll say it this way. Maybe the biggest opportunity that we're learning is, is people are just so invaluable. Um, and building the right team and having, um, your people aligned with your vision and, and where you're going and, and making them a part of that vision, um, is, is incredibly, incredibly important. Um, and you know, too, knowing at the end of the day, even with a great team, no one's going to care as much about it as you, cause it's yours and it's, it's your dream and your passion. So, um, knowing that no one's going to, and no one should work harder at it than, than you. So, um, making sure you set the pace and, you know, we, I, f- I probably have failed at always, you know, making sure that pace is set and is consistent. So, um, w- this past year, like I said, we've, we've kind of really got a strong vision and direction on where we're going. We're really excited. Um, but, but knowing that, uh, you know, without, without your team and without everybody kind of, um, chanting the same, the same, uh, um, vision i guess it's it it's yeah it's hard to do without it Mm -hmm. you uh i forget who set up uh but you have to get everyone singing your song yes Uh, i used to tell employees that um basically your career is like a locomotive and you've got to get people under your career train you got to get them to buy tickets right if if they're not willing to buy a ticket on your career train you're going to blow right past them they're not going to get on they're not going to help you yeah and you're going to be alone trying to shovel coal till the end right 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 (laughs) um I also like to take analogies a little far. Um, (laughs) Anyway, Tony, I really appreciate you taking the time with me. And uh, I think that a lot of people would love to have access to their 24-hour snap fitness. And you've done a really good job with this space. I'm sure they're really interested in seeing what the other spaces may look like if you update them in the future, too. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And um, it was a pleasure talking with you. Awesome. Thanks.